Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. It's good to have you here. Look, this is the show about life. It's not just about if you're struggling in an emotional situation. You might be. And that's great. We want you to call in. This is a call-in show. The number is 866-391-1020 or dollar bank instant access at kdkaradio.com. Or you can text us on the right automotive text line at 866-391-1020. And what we're really going to talk about tonight is not just managing emotions, but also growing personally. For example, tonight we're going to talk about things like, why does your communication go awry? Why, when you try to offer advice to loved ones, don't they listen? And what can you do differently so that your loved ones will actually hear the advice you have? Because you probably have a lot of great advice for your loved ones. And you probably no doubt at times wonder, why aren't they listening? My advice is so good. So if you're if you want to know how do you get through, how do you get through to others, give us a call. We can talk about it. I kind of created an entire theoretic theoretical approach around getting through to resistant people. So I specialize in working with people convicted of violent crimes. And for years, I had co-founded a center for people who were charged with violent crimes and then they were sentenced to anger management. So imagine this, you're already have to, you already had to do time in prison or jail. And then when you got out, you were sentenced to 52 weeks of anger management that you had to pay for. So you talk about angry and resistant. I had a lot of angry, resistant people through the years, but what we found was this, we would have guys who would go through the entire 52 weeks. They would then get off of parole or probation, and then they would come back voluntarily to the group that they would pay for. And the reason why I believe that they came back was not that they just learned how to manage those everyday emotions, but because they were learning about themselves. I remember years ago, uh, a gentleman from my group said, listen, everyone should have to go through this. And so time and again, I've said, this show is kind of like what I always wanted for us to have in school growing up which are classes about life or really so we can learn how to deal with the things that we go through on an everyday basis. Maybe you're angry. Think about it. Think about who you're angry with. But more than that, think about what that stirs up in you. Think about why someone stirs something up in you. And think about what you want to learn about yourself. Because this is the show to call in and ask and talk about it. Here's a question I have for you. Are you happy? Are you happy? And if you're not happy, what's getting in the way? 
So if there's something that's getting in the way and you want to figure it out, maybe you're feeling some sort of way and maybe you can't quite put your finger on it, then this is the place to call in. 866-391-1020 or dollar bank instant access at kdkaradio.com or the text or text us at 866-391-1020, the right automotive text line. So when it comes to emotions, when it comes to growing personally, and learning more about ourselves, that takes introspection. So communication is a two-way street. There's no doubt about it. There are people in your life who you're talking to and you're struggling with talking to them. And you, and you might say, well, it's on them. They're doing this. They're doing that. Okay, they might be. They very well might be. But guess what? You're the only person you can control. And so what I want to do is kind of go over what gets in the way of you being able to communicate clearly. And again, I get it. I get it if, if it's them that's who, who's struggling and, and they're, not, they're just not getting it. But you can only ever control yourself. And part of being able to communicate clearly means learning about yourself, learning about why you get set off on certain things. And it's also about learning to have compassion, not just others, but for yourself too. So I run into this a lot. I run into a lot where people struggle to have compassion. In fact, this week I was talking to a woman named Melissa and she asked me, how am I supposed to have, she considered herself an empathetic person. She said, I'm, I'm a compassionate person. She said, but here's where I struggle. How do I have empathy for others who do things that I don't agree with? See, that's a, that's a great question. How do you have empathy for others who do things that you don't agree with? So it's easy kind of to to have compassion for people we care about, right? It's easy to have compassion for people who agree with us and think the exact same way we think, but can, can you have compassion for people who think differently, believe differently, subscribe to different groups than you do? Because that's really a key to life is being able to develop that compassion. Here's the good news. There's actual, there are things you can do to increase your own compassion. And again, you might consider yourself a really compassionate person. And then all of a sudden someone brings up that, that group that thinks differently from you, that, that, that the, the people who believe differently from you. And all of a sudden that heats things up in you. Well, this is the show where you can learn about yourself and figure out what that's all about. So I want to answer a little bit about how do you have empathy for someone or how do you have compassion for someone? And that's what we're going to do. So coming up on the show tonight, we're going to talk about that personal growth, empathy, all of it, compassion. If you want to join the conversation, it's 866-391-1020 or the Dollar Bank Instant Access at kdkaradio.com or text us at 866-391. We're back. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. If you want to be a part of the conversation, if you want to learn something specific about yourself, if there are things you want to know, like, hey, why do I do these things I do? Then give us a call, 866-391-1020 or on the Dollar Bank Instant Access at kdkaradio.com, or you can text us at 866-391-1020 on the right automotive text line. So 
we're talking about compassion. Like, how do we have compassion? How do we build that up? How do we have empathy for others who do things that we don't agree with? Well, here's something really important to learn about compassion. So compassion means to suffer with. So we're suffering with others. We're identifying with others' pain. And I don't believe that we could ever truly understand each other. Now, listen to that. That's a powerful statement from someone like me who has sat with more than 20,000 hours of clinical experience. More than 20,000 times I've sat down in clinical sessions with people. And I really don't believe any of us can ever fully understand each other. And what I mean by that is we all have our own internal worlds. We all have that whatever's going on inside of us that could be something we can never fully express. And I, I, think, I think when we jump to judging others, we do it because we believe that others should be experiencing the world the way we are. But that's just not possible. It's not possible. I think that my whole approach to working with people through the years has been something I call yield theory. It's about meeting people where they are, joining with them, and really trying to see the world through their eyes. I believe compassion is, it doesn't have to be that you completely understand someone. It, it really centers on trying to understand others, trying to understand them. So I do some work in the prison system, and, and right now I'm doing some work in a maximum security women's prison. And the, some of the things that the inmates have done to get arrested and be in the position they're in are awful. They could make your stomach turn when you hear the stories of the pain that people caused. However, who am I to say, had I lived as th- those, how each, each one of those people that I work with, had I lived as them, Who am I to say that I would have done something different if I lived their life? And that's, that's a powerful statement because it's easy to sit back and say, well, I wouldn't have done this, or I had a tough life and I didn't do this, but you have your cognitive functioning. In other words, you have your intelligence, you have your ability to experience emotions and you have your life experiences. And throughout those 20,000 hours I told you about through the years, I've worked with twins. I've worked with people who grew up siblings, very close with one another, but yet lived radically different experiences of their parents. So even in, the, in their same household, they live different lives. So we jump to judge quickly. We jump to get rid of that compassion. We throw it aside. Well, they don't, they don't live the way I live, so I can't have empathy for them. Specifically, I was working with someone uh, this past week, uh, an officer, and she said to me, I have empathy for some of the inmates, but then when they start to do things like uh, self-harm that I don't understand, I just, I can't, I can't get on board with that. Like, I don't have any empathy. They're, they're doing it to themselves. And I said, listen, can you put yourself in their shoes for a minute? Imagine being in so much pain that you turn that harm, that internal pain on to make it physical pain. And I've really never talked about self-harm on here before, but one of the reasons, something to understand about self-harm and why people do it is when you think about how big is anxiety or you think about how big is depression, it's overwhelming. There is no size to it. But what happens is when people engage in self-harm, 
then they can put a size to their pain. They can see it. They can have a physical look to what pain that pain is. And they also, of course, the physiological response is a rush of endorphins. So if you're feeling awful and you feel really sad or you feel really anxious and all of a sudden you get hurt, the next thing you do, you have endorphins kick in and you start to feel better temporarily. So that's one of the reasons why people do that. But more than that, people do it because they want others to see that internal pain. People, people can't see our internal pain. We have, look, you know it because you've done this yourself. You've probably fought wars in your own mind. You've probably gone through such tremendous internal battles that you never ever fully shared with others. And guess what? That makes you uniquely you. Now, here's the thing, and this is the reason why this show came to fruition. We all, we all have that at times. We all struggle with that. And I think this is one of the big reasons why I do the work I do and why people see me and experience me as non-judgmental because I'm not, I'm not going to judge you for whatever you've done because I don't know that had I grown up as you and lived my life as you, that I wouldn't have done all the very same things that you have done. And that is the essence or that's how I build compassion. So yes, it's quick to judge others. There's an interesting concept I've shared on here before, but I want to say it again. It's called asymmetric insight. And that could sound so fancy, but really the idea is this. We really believe we're deep and mysterious and there's a whole lot to us, but others are shallow and predictable. And the funny thing about that idea is that all people buy into this. All people believe that. And that's because we alone, you alone can see your internal world. So how do you have compassion or empathy for people who do things you don't agree with? Well, one way to do that is to put yourself in their shoes. And, and, and when I want to push it a step further, not just say put yourself in their shoes, but also imagine that you had lived their life exactly the way they had. Because had you lived their life, you would probably have done the same things they've done. And even if you believe, maybe you're on a really high horse and you think, no, I would have done things differently. That's from your perspective only, not theirs. So it was really interesting this past week because I worked with someone who had gone through a horrific childhood. And this woman is struggling with lower cognitive functioning and She's been surrounded by really negative images. She's been allowed to watch really violent movies in her life. When she was very young, she committed a crime at a very, very young age. She never had supervision, adult supervision. She never really was experienced affection and love. And then she developed that way, that kind of imprinted. That's the way she grew up. So now here she is as an adult woman and she lashes out, she acts out, and then along comes a corrections officer who says, look, I treat her nicely, so she shouldn't act this way toward me. And I say, listen, I would love for everything to get fixed so quickly as one person being nice to another person. But the problem is that when you expect that because you treat somebody a certain way, that they should just magically, everything should be better, everything should work out for them, then that's not the issue's not with them. 
look, I have developed my patience through the years because I've learned to see people for what we are. We are, as I've always said, my tagline, there are two kinds of people, people with issues and dead people. So if we're alive, we have issues. And the what that does or what that's always done for me is I've never looked at myself as better or worse than others. I say, we're in this together. You're in a different spot than I'm in. I'm in a different spot than you're in. And we can't have each other's lives. But we certainly as heck can try to understand. We certainly as heck can seek to understand. Now, what does this do for us? Well, listen, here's the fun thing. This is 2018. So one of the great things about living in the time we're in now is we know so much more about the brain than we used to know. And one thing that we've learned through the years is that when we increase our compassion, the centers, the areas of our brain that determine compassion or that get that fire when we're exuding compassion actually increase. And not only that, but our overall brain functioning is enhanced when we are operating out of compassion. And I have a theory for the reason why compassion helps us so much. So we are, as a species, we're, we are a group. We're together. We need each other. We need each other. In fact, there was a, a, a very interesting uh, anthropologist who said that the reason why Neanderthals died out and Homo sapiens lived on, so us, the Homo sapiens lived on, was that Neanderthals had a bigger portion of their brain devoted to coordination and 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 muscle and and, and movement and eyesight because they were real big, they were muscular, and they lived on mountaintops, so they had to see far. So the back of your brain, that's coordination, that's eyesight. Well, Homo sapiens, we had a smaller portion of our brain devoted to that because we're a little smaller, but we had a bigger portion devoted to social connections. So in other words, we evolved to need each other. We figured out a long time ago that we were going to survive if we're in groups together. So what does that mean? We have to look out for each other. We have to have each other's backs, which means in turn, we have to develop. We don't have to, but when we develop compassion, we probably operate more effectively. This is why I say it's worth your time to develop compassion. Here's the other reason. Let's say it's completely self-centered or selfish. Let's say you say, I don't want to have compassion for people. I, I, don't, I, I don't like that political side. I don't like those people who have different religious beliefs than me. So I, I don't want to develop all this compassion. Well, let's say you just do it for your selfish intentions. You'll actually bring peace to yourself. Think about the anger that you have when you think about those other groups. Like that's not bringing you peace. And I think that, yes, we all have issues and yes, we all want peace. And I think we forget that sometimes we want peace, but when we can remember that that's our goal, then we can start to do the habits that will help us reach that goal. And one of those habits is increasing our compassion. Look, there's no doubt that there are people out there that you're struggling with to have compassion for. And if you want to talk about that and and di- dig into it, 866-391-1020 or dollar bank instant access at kdkradio.com or text us at 866-391-1020 on the right automotive text line. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. If you want to be a part of the conversation, it's 866-391-1020 or the dollar bank instant access at kdkradio.com or you can text us at 866-391-1020 on the right automotive text line. 
Let's go to BK in Monroeville on line one. Hi, hi, Dr. Conti. Hi, BK. Welcome um, to KDK this is Radio. PK, Piers and Paul. But uh, I'm very intrigued by the the experience you have, and I have two questions for you. First of all, do you see an increased level of hostility that has happened since Trump's election? And second, uh, is that how do you start a conversation? with the people who are in their own bubble. Okay, great, great questions. So first, do do I see an increased level of hostility since Trump's election? Um, I, you know what? Since I specialize in anger management, this is the world I've been in for so long. Anger seems the same to me. I think that there's more attention now on it. Like I even hear, for instance, I hear anger management coming up, the word anger management or people getting sent to anger management more frequently now, but I've been in the world of people being angry for 20 years. So I don't think there's anything new in the form of anger. Um, people have really disagreed on political fronts for a long time. Um, so, but let me move to your second question. I really, uh, your second question applies to you, me, and everyone else on this planet. And that is how do you approach people who are in their bubble? Is that correct? Is that what I, was that a good summary? That is correct. It is where they have always met people that have always agreed with them, but it so happens that some other people feel that they're exactly wrong, but they don't want to start a fight of any kind. Yeah, that's a great, I just, I really think that's such a great question. Um, so I have one thought is why do we even need to approach them? Is there like, so for instance, I want to really ask myself that now, maybe we need to approach them for work. Maybe we need to give them insight into something that they're doing, but when it comes to people's beliefs, my real genuine, honest question is, do I need to even talk to this person about this, or can I just accept that this person believes this? And maybe let's say it's a him. So let's say he believes this and he's stuck in his world and that's where he is. So for me, what I find it, it's more healthy for me to figure out why do I even want to convince him? Can I let him think whatever he wants to think? Even if I, even if I believe completely differently and I think he's way off the mark, can I just accept him? Hey, that's where he is. So on a scale of one to 10, if 10 is someone who has a lot of truth or facts, maybe I see him as a, a one, but why do I need him to be more than a one? Now, if there's a reason, if there's a purpose, I need him to be more than a one, then okay, maybe it's worth engaging. But if there, if it's only, if the only reason why my purpose in engaging him is for my ego's satisfaction then I have to. Then I would choose to put my ego aside and say, "I don't need to convince him. I'm happy with my own beliefs." I think um, I have a slightly different uh, area that I'm trying to focus on. And uh, granted, that the degree of psychopathology that you deal with, everything is always at eight or nine or ten. But we are talking the world that most people walk into. And it is something where yelling at other people or throwing things at other people when they're just gathering is something fairly unprecedented. But my main problem here was that there are people who are coming out of 
systems that are telling people certain things which are exactly upside down and more and more younger people have some ideas that seem to be entirely disconnected with the reality and these are the people who would become the policy makers they will become the quote unquote leaders and that creates a problem and many of them will actually be successful and will have money to put it in a, in a direction which may be exactly the wrong direction well it's scary. The um, it's scary how attached uh, young people will get to their ideas or even their belief that they have the answers. So we see that a lot. That's definitely something I'm. I kind of I identify with that with you. I think sometimes young people get really excited that they that they read a paragraph about someone, so they know all about them, or they read one book on one subject, and they think, "Oh, I know all about this subject because I read that one book." And uh, they go on and on about that. And I, I tell you, I used to be a professor, and I would always see. Um, it's f- so it's funny. And tell me if this is in line with what you're talking about. But when I was a professor, I remember I taught mostly graduate students, master students, and doctoral students. But I, every year, I had one undergraduate course, and I was always blown away how my undergraduate students believed they knew more than what my PhD students thought they <laughs> thought that they knew. They always thought, "No, I got the answers." I thought, "This is amazing. You're 18. You got all the answers." <laughs> I think there is an incident where Albert Einstein in his late years was asked to come to a high school and a young lady was asked to bring him to the stage and she was probably a sophomore and as they were walking she said, what do you do sir? So Albert Einstein said, I'm a student of physics. So she said, oh, physics, we finished it last year. (laughs) That's awesome. PK, I love that. I love that story. (laughs) But but my bigger problem is that people are seeped into certain kind of ideologies and ways of looking at things and not necessarily examining it for entire 15, 16 years of their life. So what you are saying is true. They would never really look deep into it, but if it is constantly repeated for 15 years or 18 years or beyond, then they start to almost believe that because it, they have always heard it but from so many people, it has to be true. Well, you're, I think you're so right. You're so accurate with this because one of the things that I teach people is that if someone hears something five times, they are more likely to believe it's true, even if it's absurd. But if they keep continue to hear it at least five times, they'll believe it's true. So when we repeat things over and over, we convince ourselves that we're right. My goal is to shake things up for people and to have them question things. So I remember one of the, there's a, there's a great line um, from the Tao Te Ching where Lao Tzu says the master creates confusions. The master creates confusion in those who think that they know. So in other words, if you really want to shake things up for people, you've got to create confusion in themselves. And, Robert Burton is a, a, a world-renowned neuroscientist who writes about certainty, and he talks about how certainty, and this is fascinating, really originates in a different part of our brain than our thinking, than our higher-level thinking. In other words, certainty is more approximate to emotions, and when there's a difference, when, we, when we're, sh- we're sure this is the way it is, um, that's more in line with our, an emotional belief rather than an actual thought. 
And so what's fascinating for me is, or what I try to teach people is just start to question yourself. Let's, let's, let's ask ourselves, do we need to be so certain or can we have some doubt and humility? Yeah, that is a tough question, tough task to do because people who are in the early college years, they seem to be just in a power panic mode that they have to fix everything now, otherwise the world will just go up in a ball of flames or something. So they seem to have an urgency where if you disagree with them, they generally would come back and say, we don't have time for this. We already have it all figured out. You are wasting our time. <laughs> hey, so PK, I had a guy, a young man call me and he started to, um, he actually, he wasn't even, a, he didn't even finish his degree yet in counseling. And he met with uh, someone who was a former inmate. And so he told me based off that conversation, he, he called, he wanted to convince me that there was a single cause for violence. And he and I said, so I have done, I've literally worked with thousands of people and you were, you talked to one guy one time and you now have an, a unified theory of violence. <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, but you know, one of the things I tried to shake up with him was I, so I just started to tell him different stories about that, that opposed what he was saying. And I said, these are just some experiences that I've had. So here's the way I approach it is I'm not attached to what I'm saying. I simply say, here are some exp experiences that I've had. You tell me, not not you as in you, but this like this young man, like I say, you tell me that you spoke with this one person and this was his root cause of violence. And now you're projecting that onto everyone. Well, let me tell you 10 more stories of 10 different examples of why people were violent. And then with that education, without being attached, hey, I'm not saying you're wrong or bad or I'm right. I'm simply saying I've had different experiences and let me share those experiences with you. How, does that resonate with you, PK? Absolutely. I think the problem with the brain is that as soon as it finds an answer, it can relax. So the moment he had one answer, he said, that's a complete answer. My brain doesn't have to be in turmoil anymore. Let me just go with this. But I think my problem here is that uh, to start a conversation with somebody who doesn't seem to see the other point of view is the starting point. So I think if I approach that person as an adversary, then I have a problem. So if suppose somebody says, okay, the border should be open and I should be abolished, the immigration service should be, and protection services should be abolished, then I can at least say that we agree that children should be cared for. So that's a common starting point. That's probably your emotion and that's my emotion too. Let's see what works and what all we have that we can put on the table. I love it. PK, you are welcome to call this show anytime. I really sincerely appreciate your call. Thank you Wonderful so much. Um, we are, uh, we'll be right back 866-391-1020 or the Dollar Bank Instant Access, kdkradio.com or text us at 866-391-1020 on the right automotive text line. This is Emotional Management on KDKA. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti. So what a great call from PK. That's just awesome. And what I love the realization that he came to as well in terms of at some point we have to just kind of realize where's my common ground? 
and go from there. Well, tonight, joining me in the studio, we talk about peace and leading with peace. There is one person on the planet that brings me the most peace, and she is right here in the studio live, and that is my 13-year-old daughter, Kaya. So, Kaya, welcome to my show. Thank you for having me. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. So, emotional management, what do you think of this? whole emotional management stuff um i think it's i think it's really good for people to um it's really important for people to learn how to handle their emotions and for people to be able to um not act out in anger or sadness and it's um it's very important for people to know how to handle themselves i love it now on the way over here we were talking a little bit about what would be important because there are a lot of parents out there a lot of grandparents that might have kids who are your age and what's important for, what would you like the adults or and not just you, but what do you think kids your age would like adults to hear about emotional management? Well, I think it's really important when you're, um, when you're dealing with emotions, it's really important to validate someone because I think validation is really important. Um, since it's when you're, when a younger person comes to you with a problem, you have to know that, um, that they're always going to like they you have to validate them because they want um, they want they want to feel heard. They want to feel heard in their emotions. Excellent. Absolutely. They want to feel heard in their emotions. So that's really to me it's a very important point. Earlier I was talking about how we go through a world inside of our minds. Whether that world is an internal war that we're fighting a battle, maybe we have thoughts running this way or that way. And when we have this war inside our minds, we want to know that other people get us. In fact, you brought up the word validation, and I have a question from Lacey that says, why do we seek validation? And I want to answer that question. I'm kind of glad that you brought that up because you honestly didn't know that I had that question right there. So I'm kind of really glad you brought up the word validation. But Lacey said, why do we seek validation? And first of all, Lacey, because we're human. We're human. And I think that we want other people to know that we're connected, that they, that, that we want to know if other people get us. So listen to this, Kaya, my interpretation or my perception of the color red might be slightly different than your color, than your perception of the color red. So how can we possibly share that information with each other? Um, I think it's important to um, communication, like verbal communication is very important and um, not just validation, but in all kinds of, I mean, like you go on and on about how important it is to communicate with people. So I think if you're, if you're arguing about, say, your perception on the color red, I think it's important to, to verbally communicate what your perception is. And then um, if you're talking to someone about perception of the color red, you can, um, it's important to always see from their point of view so that you can understand why they feel the way they feel. Oh, that's excellent. And that kind of is lines up with what PK was talking about earlier, right? Which was, if I'm going to find a common ground, let me see what's important to you. And then once we can figure that out, and one way we can do that, let's say it's around emotions. So I express to you, Kaya, I'm really frustrated. And then I go on and on and on. What, what would validation look like from you? Um, well, first, it's important to listen, listen to someone. And um, but when I mean, when you when you 
people sometimes people might wonder, what do you mean by validation? What is validation? Good point. Validation is um, you're expressing that you you have. It's sort of an empathetic that you under you're 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 telling someone that you you understand the way they feel and they have a right. To, you have to people have to understand that you have a right to feel the way you feel. <laughs> That's a very good point. You do have a right to feel the way you feel. And so if I'm expressing, I say, okay, I'm really frustrated. You, instead of you arguing with me and saying, no, you're not frustrated. Or let's even flip this since I'm the parent and you're the child here. <laughs> let's say that you're telling me you're frustrated. And as a parent, you never want to see your child in pain or suffering or struggling. So I tell you, no, you're not. You're not struggling. How do you feel if I tell you you're not feeling the way you actually are feeling? Well, I'd feel like I'm not hurt. I feel like you you wouldn't understand the way I'm feeling. That's why it's so important to understand other people's perspectives. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think that once you get to feel heard, once you get to express that, how does it feel once you are able to say what's going on inside you? It feels like you have people on your side that are ready to like that are help ready to help you in any situation and then that's when you can explore options and how to solve your frustration or anger. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's almost as if we can then both see a pretty similar shade of red. So we're looking at it together. Right. But we can each respect that we each still see our own version of red. And that's perfectly okay. I think the problem comes in when we need people to only see our side. It's okay to want people to want to see what we're seeing. That's perfectly normal, perfectly healthy. Because then it means we're connected. We're not alone. We're not isolated. But then we take it to the point where we kind of impact our relationships in a negative way when we force our perception on others. No, you must see the red the way I'm seeing it. Do you know back in the day when students were left-handed, teachers would say, you can't be left-handed. You're doing it wrong. And they would force the students to write with their right hands. That wasn't back in my day. Back in my day, we walked uphill to school both ways in snow <laughs> in a hundred degree weather backwards. <laughs> but that's just how we did it. It was a little, it was a little bit more difficult back then. Things are a little easier for you nowadays. So as uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show because coming up after the, in the top of the hour, one of the things we're going to talk about is you being a teenager. And that scares a lot of people to know I have a teenager what oh is my teen? Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, what's my teenager thinking? So I know I get that. So I think that's going to be fun to talk about and to hear some things from your perspective on what parents might want to be looking for and things like that. But I'm going to come back to our perception and accepting each other for having a different perception. So what can you do? What do you do? Because you do this very very well. How can you accept? that other people believe differently from you? Um, I think, again, that comes to looking from someone else's point of view. I like to, I like to really um, just, take a mo like just take a moment and take a breath and take a breath as though I'm that person mm. and just see, like, look, look at the room from their eyes, think the way they think, just, like, take a breath the way they would. Just, like, take a moment and just be that person. And then once you do that, you can really... I really think it, re it really, really is important to understand the other person's perspective and doing that little moment of uh, a breath in that person's walk, say, perspective, perspectively walking in that person's shoes, you can understand how they feel. So I just wanted to say, you know, obviously I'm writing my book on yield theory and it's about getting into other people's world. 
taking a breath from that person's perspective is a sentence that's going to be in my book. And now everybody's going to know where I got it. I can't take credit for that. That's just awesome. I love that. I'm so excited to have you on and I'm so excited for everyone to hear a teenager's perspective on emotional management. If you want to join the conversation, it's 866-391-1020 or the dollar bank instant access at kdkradio.com or you can text us at 866-391-1020 on the right automotive text line. This is Emotional Management. I'm Dr. Christian Conti on KDKA Radio. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.